0: That in reality, the pursuit of money, while it had taught me a great deal of, of, about life, it had not taught me how to live a happy life. And it had not taught me how to live a meaningful life. Not really. So the departure was, yes, it's awesome to have it. It gives you incredible freedom. But my fixation and my obsession with having a lot of it was something that I needed to really understand because it was not helping me.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well being.
2: I'm Sarah Lee Kane, founder of High Fiving Dollars.
1: And I'm Garrett Philbin, founder of Be Awesome Not Broke.
2: As money coaches, we want to give you space to explore your relationship with money the guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo.
1: In this episode, we sit down with Lisa Peterson, the founder of Wealth Clinic and the host of the Art of Abundance podcast. We wanted to have Lisa on because she has a unique way of combining mindfulness practices into her work with money. We dive into how to define what a meaningful life looks like, how you know if you're using money to achieve it, and the work we need to do in order to find meaning around money in our lives.
2: Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. So we're really excited to have Lisa Peterson on the podcast today. So welcome, Lisa. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, so this is another meaty episode, everyone, as if you can't already tell, if you've listened to at least an, an episode of Beyond the Dollar. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what a meaningful life looks like, and we're definitely going to relate it to our financial life. So let me start by asking for you, what What does a meaningful life look like?
0: I'd have to say it means freedom to be my authentic self and to move about life with the ability to make choices along the way and not feel like I'm making choices, particularly around money, that that's not the reason I'm living my life. And that's a big departure from where I came
2: from. So, yeah, let's talk about where you came from then, if if that's such a big departure of where you started. I, you know,
0: as you know, I have studied a great deal what it means to look inside of our money relationships. So that's where this is coming from. Uh, But I grew up without having a lot of money. It was a really big source of stress in my home. I've studied a lot of what was happening for my parents. Both of them had come from backgrounds where they struggled in different ways with money and it was brought into our home and I carried that torch faithfully for a great part of my life thinking that if I had a lot of money, all my problems would go away and so my pursuit of figuring out how to manage money, how to be a steward of it, how to save a lot of it, was the science that I sort of subscribed to. And ultimately, becoming a self-made millionaire in my mid-30s, I realized that that was not really what was going to happen, that in reality, the pursuit of money, while it had taught me a great deal of, of, about life, It had not taught me how to live a happy life and it had not taught me how to live a meaningful life. Not really. So the departure was, yes, it's awesome to have it. It gives you incredible freedom. But my fixation and my obsession with having a lot of it was something that I needed to really understand because it was not helping me.
1: There is a quote that I love by Lynn Twist, who wrote The Soul of Money, and it says, unless you are living your purpose and following your heart, the benefits of money become relatively meaningless. And that's exactly what I hear in what you just said.
0: Couldn't agree more. In fact, her work was very instrumental when I was trying to figure out after working in finance for over 20 years, why was it not working when I had all this money? And I, I loved her book and it, it really helped me wake up to the idea that there was this whole possibility of what I could be doing with my life, which was studying this relationship with money and how could we break free from it in a society that is very fixated on money
1: you mentioned your parents, right? And their relationship with money and how that influenced you. I've had a fair amount of conversations recently with people who, when I bring that idea up, have never thought of it and the relationship between how their parents were with money and how that might influence how they currently are with money. And I'm just curious how you became aware of that and what you've learned from the work that you've done in looking into that.
0: So imagine I've really spent the past eight years of my life completely fixated on that and and solving that question. Um, I was a financial advisor when I started becoming really interested in in figuring this stuff out. But uh, one of the things that I did without even looking at my story, I just started asking other people, whoever would talk to me about it, can you tell me your money story? Can you talk to me about your money? And You know what happened in your home growing up. And so I used that body of information. I did about 10 or 15 interviews with people. Some of them were my financial advising clients, some weren't. And once I started to have these conversations, within a very short amount of time, people that I had met with started making huge changes in their lives. And I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? Just by shining the light on these stories, even though I didn't know what I was doing, I'm not a therapist by training, I just noticed that there was some big stuff happening in people's lives. And I became completely obsessed with understanding. I think at first it was more about other people. Then after a while, I'm like, oh, I guess I got to look at my own story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's way easier to have those conversations. You know, tell me your deepest, darkest fears, shame, guilt, you know, whatever. Because that all came out in those conversations. But I didn't really want to look at mine. And then eventually... I had to, to be able to help people in the way I wanted to. So does that answer your question (laughs) (laughs)
1: triggered me? (laughs) It does. And I think it ties in because even if you find out what you're really excited about and passionate about and what a meaningful life looks like, if you have these patterns and scripts that you don't really know are going on and you aren't aware of that, then you will always go back and default to these stories that you believe are true because of how you were raised and you'll never be able to fully fulfill and enjoy what that life and that potential you have could be.
2: This just popped up in my head about the idea of a meaningful life. I was thinking this morning, I was reading psychology today about the interpretation of meaning and the idea of, is it about worth, about value or the importance? So what importance are you placing on an event, on an accomplishment, whatever? And When you're talking about the childhood scripts and me thinking about a meaningful life, it actually reminds me of the decisions I've made since I was a teenager. Yeah, since I was a teenager, it had to do with everything was the opposite of what my family wanted. And it was because their interpretation of a good life, and I'm going to air quote that, is go to school, have your stable career, have a family, raise a healthy son, or daughter and that's your that's the idea of a meaningful life is that you've you've been able to provide this sense of security to another person right whether it's a spouse or another human being or to another family member so that was what I got was that was a meaningful life for for my family for me I had so many other opinions of that I don't know if you can tell I'm quite opinionated on things so it was like I'm like no I'm gonna do an arts degree, which was completely the opposite of what everybody wanted for me. No, I'm going to study French. I'm going to go and travel the world. I'm going to do it by myself, which freaked a lot of people out. And when I finally realized that I was doing everything for actually doing the things I was doing for other people, even though I thought it was the opposite of what they wanted, the light bulb just went off in my head. I was like, Okay. Like I'm looking on the I'm looking at external factors for a meaningful life. I got to switch that and think about what it is that I I truly want and what truly makes me happy. And ironically, I'm now in finance, <laughs> which I didn't want to be. I didn't I never thought I was going to get married. I'm happily married. Never said I was never going to have a kid. I have a he's going to be 3. And so it just I don't know. I just think that's funny.
0: Well, the meaningful life to me is really awareness of what's happened and not having it dictate your life, but your awareness of it allowing you to decide what it is that you really, really want and what it is that you don't want. And so the problem with being stuck inside of our money stories, which is what most people are doing, is There is no freedom because you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And you're making choices based on what you've been conditioned to believe rather than what you truly believe.
1: How do you begin to build that awareness when you don't know what you don't know? How do you start understanding or diving into that when you don't even know it exists?
0: It's a great question. And there's a couple of ways I want to answer it. One is the challenge with what you just asked is why I'm so prolific in creating so much content because everyone has different things that will cause that light bulb moment where, oh my gosh, I get what she's talking about. Like I get it because and that's what happens with people that hang out with me for a while is they, they'll watch a YouTube, you know, class or they'll hear a podcast and they'll be like, I think I know Which what, what, what my challenge has been. And my whole goal is to help people have those moments in time where I get it. That said, I will also share with you that, remember I told you how I started out, I was asking people all these questions, but I will be really honest and also say that the minute you start asking those questions, people get very defensive and want to run in the other direction. And I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, I've done my money work. I really don't want help in that regard from you. I want to do this. And for a long time, I listened to them because I could feel how much resistance they had to looking at their story. So I didn't go in that direction. But now coming full circle, my book that I'm focused on writing right now is about helping people look inside these money stories. Because even with clients I've been working with for years, I didn't actually know their money story because they didn't want to share it. And so I'm finally coming back and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I want to write about some things that I know about you in the book. Can you answer some questions? And when we we spend one hour together and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't know these things about you and that you didn't even know these things about you because what just happened is going to change the rest of your life. Like that's how profound it is and and also how hard it can be to be willing to look at it.
2: Yeah, we, we mentioned in a previous episode about... We're generally taught that negative feelings should be avoided. For me personally, I think that's why I've avoided doing a lot of the work that you're talking about. Even when I started admitting some of these behaviors that I've been, that I was doing with my money, I, I was really scared to, to actually dive into it. And it was because I just wanted to avoid those negative feelings and I, I was scared of what would happen if I admitted them. Like, what was the next step? And, and I think that's what was really extremely scary for me. So, you know, I, I talk about this story a lot, but it was just so pivotal to the changes I've made in my life is when you know, I, I moved back to Canada from Australia and I had to make that change. Like, yes, practically, I, I got out of debt and all of that, but the internal work took Another five, six years before I even admitted that story to somebody else. And when I did that, it was still like, oh, okay, what's the next step? Now that I've admitted it to another person, what's the next step? And has that been scary for you too, Garrett and Lisa?
0: Totally. Like, I mean, I'm I'm an open book now and people – I was on Farnoosh's podcast recently and I told this story and afterwards I thought – You have lost your mind. I'm a certified financial planner, and she said, Well, what's one of those mistakes or something you know that you've made with money? Like, give us an example. And I gave an example of one of my stories that I still feel a great deal of shame around. And I think I do that because when I do it, and people are like, Oh my god, she's that stupid to have done that as a certified financial planner. Like, I help everyone drop some of the shame that they feel about the mistakes that they've made in their relationship with money. And so I think that it takes us as leaders to be willing to share those vulnerable stories because when we do, people will have light bulb moments like, oh my gosh, right? I did something similar to that. And until we look at that resistance, we're not free of it. So by me sharing it publicly with thousands of people, I start moving through it, I start accepting that that's a part of me and that there have been good things that happen and there have been some bad things that happen. And I'm no longer willing to live in the closet about those feelings because they hurt me when I try and hold them tight and not let anyone see that part of me. It is part of me.
1: That's one thing when you were talking about how challenging it was for your clients to be able to look at their history and their stories and how they would deflect. Like, no, no, no. I got this money thing down. I'm cool. Is it forces us to reevaluate what we thought was true and say, you know, I'm reading a book right now. And of course the title of it eludes me. So we'll put it in the show notes, but it says people will do so much to not have to go and change the reality that they believe is true. So especially when growing up, if they were, the example used was an abusive relationship between parent and child, and they will say, oh no, my parents hit me because they wanted to show, you know, help discipline me and I needed to be disciplined or, you know, they ultimately loved me and this is their way of helping me become a strong, confident person who doesn't act out. And when they're forced to look at, no, actually that is not the case. There's this huge shift when you see the story that you thought was true for 20, 40, 60 years, and you have to actually learn that that's not true. That is, you're shaking the foundation and the core of who you are. And financially, I think that's true as well. When we tell ourselves stories of um, who we think we are in a financial context, which also can't be, you know, disassociated from who we are as, as humans in our life story. Like that's why it's so hard to look at it because money can be used as a weapon in relationship, romantic relationships, family relationships. So you have this story of what you thought um, was true. And then when you start to face it, you realize that was actually just not true. And that was me interpreting it through the lens of a child, not with the full context and understanding of an adult.
2: I love that. And this brings up a question back to the idea of a meaningful life. If we're thinking about the word meaningful life in terms of giving value or importance on something, right? So does that mean that we have been giving value and importance to our existing money story? And that when that has been shaken to its core, we were scared because then the idea of a meaningful life to us is completely overhauled and we're questioning every aspect of our lives identity.
1: I can speak to this right now. Um, So for me, Again, at least as you said, being a certified financial planner, you like, people expect me to have my money shit together and surprise I'm human. And as a financial <laughs> coach, the same thing has been going on for me. And I've been doing this work. I'm actually taking Deborah prices, a certified money coach training. And so it does a lot of this diving into your own money stories and realizing that I have a lot of fear of rejection from a standpoint of, uh, Relationships. So growing up with friends, I was total fear of rejection. And this also manifested around money, which meant I was scared of taking risks because I didn't want to get rejected. So I always stayed small and never earned a lot of money. And rather than saying, oh, I'm going to challenge myself to put myself out there and earn more. I always downgraded my needs to fit within the budget that I had. Right? So when I lived in New York for 5 years, you know, 3 or 4 years out of that when I was starting companies, I was making 30 grand a year and I figured out how to shrink my needs rather than grow the money that I had to try and actually get what it is that I wanted. And the reason for that is I didn't know what I wanted. And right now I'm trying to figure out what the hell it is that I want because I've spent so much of my life downgrading my needs and this is both financially and there are some reasons, you know, from my, in my history growing up why that's the case. But I am sitting right now trying to do this work of asking, what do I want my life to be about? And I think I have very much externalized or I have acted in a way based on what I want my life externally to look like traveling for seven weeks around the country and working from you know my laptop on the back of the car. And I get to do all these cool things and travel and have that freedom and have that flexibility. But is that really fucking what I want? I don't know. And I'm starting to ask these questions and it's really hard to answer because I've been living a projection of what I think other people want to see in me. I haven't really sat down with my needs and said, what are my needs and not what I think others want me to be. And this is why therapy is super important and trying to find a therapist right now. And God, that's a pain in the ass. But this whole idea of, you know, we have to do the work. And now that I've had some people, and the book I'm reading calls them enlightened witnesses who have been really helpful in shining light into these dark areas that I haven't had awareness around. And that's all they can do. They can shine the light and I can decide whether I want to go there. And so it's just going down right now for me in this rabbit hole and saying, all right, am I willing to go where this leads? And can I sit with what that brings up? We'll see, but it's sure a hell of a journey so far. <laughs>
0: So it's it's very interesting what you're talking about. Um, you know, first of all, say I've never been to a therapist in my life. I have used spiritual, spiritual understanding to heal. Um, and now that's what I do for people. Like my clients come to me because they've reached a point in life where they realize that this story is no longer playing out the way that they thought it was going to, and they're ready to pivot and create a deeply meaningful life at all costs, whatever it takes. Like people don't get to me until they're really hit against the wall. And they're, it's like non-negotiable. They have to find the answers to the meaning of life and they won't stop until that, that happens. And that's been the journey that I've been on for the past 20 years in my own life. You know, the millionaire thing happened, what, 16, I don't know, early 2000. So 15 years ago, I guess, um, when we started making a lot of money and realizing that our life was about to drastically change. And then it took several years of integrating. What does this mean with the money? Is it all going to get better or is it actually going to get worse life? And, and then using spiritual understanding, smashing up against this experience with money to realize that there was a whole other thing going on in life that we, until we, um, kind of reach that place of it just it's like non-negotiable. I want happiness and I'm willing to look at every area of my life until I arrive at that place. So I use a lot of understanding around shadow work, which is a therapy, you know, Carl Jung came up with this, this concept of these parts of ourselves that are hidden in the darkness. And we need to be able to look at those areas one by one in order to gain freedom. And You know, There's many different ways that you can look at those shadows, but the cool thing is, is I think I've chosen to come to the work that I do because I've done it for myself, not because I have a PhD in it, but because I've done it for myself, and when I started doing it for other people and saw them awakening, I was like, oh, wow, I can not only do it for myself, I can also help other people do it. And I use money and business and the experiences of business to get there. The thing that you said that I want to really just um, perhaps give you a little seed of thought is oftentimes we can take our experiences with business and our desires and our, our, like for me, a year, a couple years ago, I thought, okay, you know, I want to at least, I made a lot of money in my old world, but in this world, I was not hitting that like 10k plus sort of number on a monthly basis. So I said, that's the goal. I want to, I want to get there. Like, what does that feel like? What's going to happen? So I set that goal. And what I found is that when I set those goals with money, it's really cool because ultimately when I achieve those goals, they blow up and I realize new things about myself. For example, Uh, I still did have a bit of the belief that you have to work really, really hard to make a lot of money. So I ended up working really, really hard and made more money. And then I was like, yeah, that's not working for me. And so one of two things goes, the belief that you have to work really hard or the desire for more money because I can't do this. This doesn't work for me. And so I help my clients do that exact same thing of like, Let's let's let your desires help you know what the lesson that you're ready to receive is and don't tell yourself that you're wrong. That's the problem a lot of times. We look at things and we say, judge, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. That's not, but it's, it's actually not healthy because if there's something deep inside of you that you want to achieve, it will lead to the biggest and best teaching you could possibly get. Better than anything that could ever be manufactured, and definitely better than judging your way to happiness. Which, by the way, doesn't—it's impossible.
2: I was going to say, Amen, girl. Because <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I was actually going to bring up a point, and, and you put the seed in my head about desire and thinking about how we want to feel, and using that as a, a catalyst. And 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 what I'm getting—I also got from that—is—is is money as a tool for the meaningful life. It's not the the end goal. And I think when we're working for the paycheck or when we're working for the money to cover our basic needs, I think that we we I get stuck in the money is the end of goal, all be all. It's not the tool to get those things. And so a lot of the work I'm doing right now is to continually shift that. And one of the cool things that I've been using is I'm a really big fan of Danielle Laporte. And there's a book that she wrote. I don't remember when, but it's called the Desire Map, and it's actually just a, a workbook on discovering like what are your core desired feelings, not even values, feelings. Like how do you want to feel? And it it took me two weeks to do this. It, it, for some people, maybe a day. But it, it she asks you to go through every single area of your life, like business, work, money, relationships, everything, and then you pick I think four or five words. And so those core desired feelings and are your is your guide into every decision that you make. And so I've actually been experimenting with, oh, do I, one of the, the words is actually contribution. That's one of the feelings I want to feel like I've been able to contribute. So then actually really interesting when Garrett asked me to to help him co-host his podcast. That was one of the questions like, do I want to feel like, is this podcast going to make me feel like I'm contributing? And the answer was a resounding yes. And so here I am.
0: <laughs> I, I love what you're talking about with Danielle. I love her and her white hot truth book. Um, the wealth flower exercise that, that maybe we'll include in the show notes, that's like a mini version of the desire map. And that's something that I use to help me decide how to really move forward with how do I create this? And I use desire to ultimately radically overhaul my family's life, my life, my business. And it and it continues to be a tool that I do that with because at least every six months I'm checking in and like, is this it? Is this what I'm wanting to create right now? Or has it become morphed because I've changed so much, it no longer reflects what I want to be creating. Uh, the other thing that I just, you mentioned, I want to touch on is Money is merely, to me now, a place that I can pay attention to that shows me where I'm ready to heal. That's it.
1: Tell me more about that because I'm interested to, to dive deeper into what that really means.
0: So I pay attention to what it's provoking in my life and in my clients' lives. And then I use it like a breadcrumb trail to take me to the lessons that I'm ready to learn to the experiences that I'm ready to create and ultimately learn from so does that make sense
1: mhm
2: mhm yeah and I think correct me if I'm wrong Garrett I think we've talked about how money is neutral it's neither good or bad it's just what what we assign to it so and I it was funny that you talked about the $10,000 a month goal because that was what i you know one of my goals this year is to have a certain income uh, or earn a certain amount of income this year and it's it's not as freaky as it was when i recorded that episode but yeah i had to like think and and sit and like is this still an arbitrary goal is this in line with my desired feelings is this on help me to live that meaningful life for myself and for my family and so It's still a yes, and I'm still going towards it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we talked about that in episode one, and there were some questions around why do you want that $10,000 a month goal? What is it going to help you achieve? And it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs set for themselves, but I have felt that it's kind of arbitrary. Like they just have that, and it's there and that's great because other people kind of have it, but haven't heard as much, here is why I really want to earn every single one of those $10,000 because here's what it's gonna allow me to do in alignment with values, sense of purpose, to bring meaning into my life.
2: Yeah, and I, I also wanna go back to the the idea of the breadcrumbs, like how is money provoking me? I'm just wondering then if we were thinking about the definition of a meaningful life in terms of our finances and everything else, Is that a destination then? Do we ever actually achieve the status of living a meaningful life? Or is it a breadcrumb to, or a stepping stone to something else later down the line?
0: In the beginning, it will feel very elusive. It will feel like you're not ever getting there. Because what I see happen is you have to have done something for a certain amount of time before you develop the kind of confidence that you are seeking. It's more of the, you know, in financial coaching, we think of it as, I like to call it, financial confidence. Like, it's not about arriving at the destination, it's about, I've got this, like I really know how to make money, I know how to take care of my money, I know how to invest my money. That's this feeling of confidence. Well, if we move it over into meaningful life, we have to have experience that shows us that we have the ability to be incredibly flexible, resilient, um, creative, resourceful, And when we've done that for a while and we look around and we look at our relationships that are very healed because we're so resilient and so present in these, you know, what we're trying to create, we're so willing to be vulnerable with our partners and tell them about what's important to us. We're so willing to be vulnerable with our money and tell it what's important to us. We ultimately reach a place where it's like we can exhale. And think, oh, it wasn't about a destination. It was really about reaching this place where I know that how things are going to come at me, whatever they are. What you know, they could be really, really intense and, and tragic and traumatic, or they could be little bitty things but I've got this. Like I know what to do. I trust myself so deeply and how I respond to life that now I'm feeling a lot of joy and meaning.
1: There's a quote I came across that says, it's not about making a million dollars. It's who you become in the process of becoming a millionaire. And I feel like that's it, right? It's the process. It's gaining that confidence, that sense of self-worth along the journey that will ultimately prepare you for Whatever life will throw your way, the good and the bad. And it's just for me, I I feel that like if all of my business were to go away tomorrow, I would be able to say, cool, Like I have the confidence to now go out and either create something new in the meantime, go to any job I'm remotely qualified for and have a conversation around what they need, how I can help them. And here's what I'm worth and let's go do it. And that you're totally right is just worth so much more than the money. And ultimately the money will follow that confidence and that sense of trust in yourself. So I resonate with that very, very deeply.
0: The other thing that I want to mention is many of us, have not necessarily made our money from absolute right livelihood, which is a concept in Buddhism that's that I studied for many years and I was really torn with. Like I could not ultimately feel like I was in right livelihood working in the financial services industry, for example. I just could not find it. And so we may make the money, but then we look at how we made it and we're like yeah that's not working for me anymore and we actually go back down and start doing that journey again like i want to be clear that it's not like you if you've done it one way and now you're going to do it another way it really is going to feel like you're starting from ground zero having
2: done that my own on my own you know path it reminds me of this quote in this article and i'll link it in the show notes is I hope I'm quoting this right. It he was talking about the idea of wealth. So the meaning of true wealth is actually making money and enjoying the process of making money. So or or enjoying the the job that you're doing to make this money. That that is a definition of true wealth. And so, you know, we can talk about like making a living from your passion, we can talk about all that, but you're right. It's for me I love teaching. I I still see myself doing it. I I guess I am doing it right now in a different way than I was. I was an elementary school teacher for about 10 years. And for me, I loved doing it. And for me, didn't make a whole lot. It wasn't, I wasn't a millionaire, you know, making (laughs) a teacher's salary, but I loved it. And I was able to, you know, I live in a really great apartment. I have healthy family members. So for me, it wasn't the number. It was, am I doing work That matters to me? Am I doing work that makes me feel these core desired feelings? And do I see the tangible results of what I I have felt and created in my head? Mm -hmm.
1: One thing I hear a lot in the personal finance space is aligning your spending with your values. I think it's important to think of the flip side and align your earning with your values as well, which is exactly what you were speaking to.
0: And you can see how easy it is. Like even something as simple as what we charge can be directed into this conversation because there is going to be pressure to charge, right? To, to fit a certain, like I have a lifestyle. I want to charge so that it fits my lifestyle, Well, the minute you do it that way, you're already starting to get into this gray area of right livelihood because it's all about you. It's not necessarily about the client and the value you're providing to them. So I spend a lot of time focused on what is the value you're bringing to people and how are you responding to that value? And so, you know, If you want to make more money, you've got to provide more value and you might have to figure out who are the people. It can't be necessarily everyone. It might be certain people that can afford what you're needing to charge. And then you start to get into this very value-based feeling of what you're doing And like, oh, this makes sense. And and that's a hard one, I think, for people to get their head around because they want it to be very simplistic. But it's actually very complicated when you start tying your values and other people's values, and making sure that they're in alignment with each
2: other. I think that's the challenge is that we compartmentalize money. Oh, it's budgeting, it's saving, it's investing. Oh, I hit a certain number, I can retire now. But it's not just that. It's everything around it. You're right. It, it makes it very difficult.
0: One thing I'll just add, like when I started out, you know, four years ago, I was going out and trying to find different coaches and there wasn't financial coaching. Like, so I was out there looking at, you know, all different sorts of business coach and all this stuff. And, and I hired some very expensive coaches. And the more I paid attention to what was going, I was like, oh my gosh, like that, what I just said about this value equation wasn't happening. Like there were people taking money out of their retirement accounts to pay these 20 and $30,000 coaches to help them. They didn't have that money. The value wasn't there. It, it, it just drove me nuts. And it made me not want to even be a coach. Cause I'm like, if I can't make this work with my values, I don't want to do it. And and I continuously am restructuring my pricing and playing with it because I really, really, really want to wake up in the morning and feel like that value is rock solid for my clients.
1: And going back to this idea of it being a process and you don't ever really arrive, (laughs) no matter what level you get to, you look around and you normalize and then you say, okay, what's next? So I love that even someone who, you know, you've gone through this process. You said self-made millionaire 15 years ago, and then going through this process all over again, building up, and it's you're constantly just reevaluating and saying, "Does this work for me?" and checking in. And that idea of um, you mentioned every six months that you had those check-ins with yourself, and I just think it's so important to know that you will never arrive. And that's okay because the journey and the learning and being in the shit is the fun part about it, right? That's where you get to, or this is where I am right now, right? Of really figuring out who am I? What do I want? What's, what's going on for me? And it, it can be challenging, but that's honestly where the fun is, is what I'm starting to realize.
2: Very that's much great. So. I love it. I love it, Garrett. Thank you for being super effing real. <laughs> well,
1: you do it that. enough, so I figure every once in a oh. while I have to kind of <laughs> give it a shot. It's too.
2: your it's your turn. I actually have the teddy bear about the one that I found in my son's uh, toy.
1: It's our unofficial mascot of the pod. It's our
2: unofficial mascot, the teddy bear. So the teddy bear's hugging your heart today, Garrett. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't ask how it came up. Don't ask how it came up, Lisa. It's a weird story. We'll tell you after.
2: So Lisa, we really appreciate you being on and we'll definitely link to the wildflower assessment. I've, I've done that and it, it's really great. And all of the other resources that we've mentioned, we'll put them in the show notes. Garrett, do you have anything else to add before we go?
1: Not at all. Just thank you, Lisa, so much for being on. This was so much fun for me and I really appreciate you taking the time.
0: Uh, I love it. I love what you're doing. I love, Garrett, what, you're, what you've been posting in the group that we're we're connected to i think it's really fabulous so thank you so much for letting me share your world
1: of course thank you so much for listening to this episode of beyond the dollar if you enjoyed it please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released and if you can think of one awesome human who would connect with what we talked about today we'd love you forever if you shared this episode with them Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.